Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. I may not always love you, but as long as there are stars above you, you'll never... All right, welcome to the only podcast uh, where you won't get any succession spoilers, except to say that that scene where Cousin Greg spontaneously combusted was pretty wild, huh? I I just don't... I, I, am, am I right in understanding that there was a lot of hullabaloo on the internet in the last few days when we're recording this about you are spoilers you are absolutely correct i i told you before we started recording that i accidentally clicked on a link to the ringer um and on their homepage, uh within like one sort of you know scroll sections worth uh there were seven different succession items um that's too many yeah, but you know that just feels like the the natural thing because, um, you know, we have these chains now. And and speaking of the ringer and those folks, I feel like um, we're, uh, you know, the originators of this, which is we we have to have our our article about the TV, and then we have uh, some kind so just about the show, and then we also have the ranking of characters in the show for that week, like the misery index or whatever. And then we also have to have a podcast about the episode and we have to have a podcast later in the week, looking forward to the next episode. Have I, have I, you know, eaten up all that content in the past? Absolutely. But like, I don't know, that's just another uh, instance of it, it creeping right along into, into our world. And I don't know about you all, but I'm used to that from like, I don't know, the the TV industrial complex type of thing, you know, Marvel, Harry Potter, um, Game of Thrones, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, something that we were looking to discuss this week is, and I feel differently and conflicted about it, is I'm starting to see that content creep, but like the people and brands that I consume on say YouTube and I don't think it's a new thing, but I've started to notice it with people that I'm like, huh, you have a big enough fan base that you think that you're going to turn, I don't know, kind of dorky cooking videos into an empire. Uh, And I am struggling with how to, to feel about it or, or think about it. Okay, this one is going to be really hard to do without saying my catchphrase, um, oh, but well, I'm but yeah, I'm gonna well. I'm gonna try to do it. Um, I'm gonna try to save up so that at most, if I have to say it one time at the end, just for posterity's sake, I can. Um, this is that that particular shift that you're talking about, where YouTubers are starting to like branch out and turn their stuff into podcasts. I see it going both ways 
where so many podcasts are on YouTube now um, that they're basically just kind of becoming one thing. Um, like if I go on YouTube at any given time, I have never listened to an episode of the Joe Rogan experience in my entire life. I will never listen to an episode of the Joe Rogan experience at any point in my life for any reason. Um, if I refresh the homepage of YouTube once or watch two videos, it is guaranteed that I will be recommended uh, clip videos from the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, if not, uh, well, in addition to all of the other uh, kind of lunatic right-wing political stuff, because uh, in case you haven't figured it out, YouTube tries to radicalize everyone to the right wing now um, all the time. Uh but like it, it is, it is weird, and you know, and and frustrating to see these people who, particularly ones who feel like they have dialed in like a pretty good routine, feel like they now have to sort of turn on their heels and take on, you know, two more jobs. Uh, in some cases, in order to make close to the same amount of money, part yeah. of this stuff is that the YouTube algorithms are changing all the time and, and are making it harder and harder to keep doing the same thing you were doing before in the same way and achieve the same level of success. It's this rat on a wheel mindset where everyone is being asked to not only grow forever, but to grow the growth, to grow at an exponential rate. Forever. Forever, correct. Max? Well, so as, an, as a non-content consumer of sorts, I have some kind of questions and clarifying statements. I so just, it sounds a bit... If, yeah. if I may, Max, I just want to point out that on your a non-content consumer, how do we know this? To to your right, as I'm looking, you have a literal calendar on the wall, like a month calendar. And while I have one, too, in my house, nothing says, like, person who does not consume internet content, like, a calendar <laughs> on their wall. <laughs> Still, That's like, it. oh, got to gotta take out the garbage on Tuesday. Can't it's forget that. with stuff. It's got, I got stuff all the time. No, um, I mean, I don't want to say I'm that's a non-content. I mean, we all consume media and content and things in different ways i think i think for me there's two things that jump out one is like there's a big distinction here when we first started talking about this between like content and art and so when you think about like because we've talked about like artists and how it's like oh i wish these musicians that i loved would just play their hits and not keep making new music and it's like that's kind of absurd to ask a musician not to make new music but this is feels a little different because what you're saying here it sounds like is you're basically seeing these, I'll say, content creators, which might be an individual or it might not, as essentially companies or organizations. Totally. What you're saying is that it sounds like what they're doing is basically introducing new products, new product lines. That's kind of how I'm here. So I, rather I, than saying I it sounds that, like, yeah. you know, you're you are so great at making shoes. I love your shoes. And now, you know, I don't know if you're naming if you're suggesting that the shoe quality is going down, but now they're doing shirts and all these other things. Is that kind of what it, it like? Because if a yeah. movie director makes seven movies, I'm fine with that. But if he makes seven sequels of the same movie, it's like you're drawing out the same 
art rather than a different uh, product. Yes, that it is. The director is being asked to continue making new movies while also operating a chickpea canning factory on the side. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, um, and also, but also, these companies? If, but also, if he doesn't can all the chickpeas, no one will go see his movies anymore. Okay, I think I'm following. Um, these are mostly individuals, uh, yeah. or or, or uh, companies. I so I I don't I don't yeah it's definitely both. And my my other sort of piece of evidence for this is. What happens when you've already got a podcast? You do you do men in blazers and you become a podcast network. And now instead of I, I would say I maybe listen to I, I don't know every other episode of sort of standard issue men in blazers. Uh but that now translates to I maybe listen to one out of every 15 things that gets posted to their feed because there are like seven different sub shows under the men in blazers umbrella and it's getting totally unwieldy and like I don't want to listen to Hercules Gomez talk about American soccer I don't give a shit don't care Uh, so just just for I, I think that's a that's a great example um and, and pi you know and they've also they have video podcasts now and they have mm-hmm. tiktok and they'll do twitch streams but they have their their base podcast they do a special one around um like champions league football mm-hmm. they have <clears throat> hurt gomez talking about american soccer um they occasionally do a series on women's soccer the women's game um they have fabrizio romano who's now part of their podcast network doing doing something and then they have another thing that they do on fridays so i just named six things and sometimes they do special like probably twice a month they do things it used to be one show and like if something crazy happened they'd they'd add another the emergency podcast uh, yeah all power to roger bennett who who wrote wrote a a lovely memoir in in his i mean he he very much is is driven this because the other guy was an executive producer on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire when it came out in the United States. He's got plenty of money. He's got houses. He's got money. He takes trips to like St. Bart's just because whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a prime example. And what I think is important about that is that's a like a longstanding brand. Um, when um, Stuff You Should Know, uh, a podcast that Tuesday and Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, forever. They added in, now they do something on Wednesday that's a little bit different, is a slightly different product, but it's like, you know, they they made sedans and now they're making a, a two-door version um, of, of the sedan, as opposed to like, I think some of the other things I'm seeing are someone has made a two-door sedan and now they're like, I'm going to make a motorcycle as well and also a tractor trailer. And that's where I kind of go, um, especially for some of these people that like they do cooking videos once a week. I respect and understand why they're doing that, but it does seem to be something that may backfire because all of a sudden that consistency of your one product 
you're bringing something else in. And as a consumer, if I don't like that other product you're doing, it does kind of sour me a little bit to your overall brand. Because here's one thing I'll add, not to add too much of a curveball. A lot of times what these people do is they want to start selling them as a person as part of the brand, as opposed to they've done really well edited um, voiceover type stuff, uh, scripted stuff almost. And now they're introducing themselves as like an individual. Hmm. And sometimes that's not as appealing as I think they want it to be. Like in the humanization, they become less appealing. Yeah, I get that. So there's a really fascinating counterexample to all of this, I think, which is normal gossip, the defector podcast. Uh, it got launched as like a test idea. They uh, maybe whatever, a year and a half, two years ago, uh, mm -hmm. they released to subscribers like a secret SoundCloud link to go listen to pilot episodes of a couple, like three or four different um, shows that they were kind of uh, test running whether they wanted to develop them. Um, and I was I was bummed that the Lauren Tyson uh, wrestling podcast didn't get made. Um, but normal gossip has become like a smash hit. Um, it was Vulture's like number one podcast of the year in 2022. Uh, and one of the things that I find really refreshing is that they are incredibly honest about the amount of work it takes to make something like that and make it good. Um, they they answer a lot of questions about, like, why are you not just sort of a, a perpetual motion machine cranking out a podcast every week? Why do you take, why do you do, like, seasons and you release eight or ten episodes and then you take a break for a while? And they were... You know, uh, Alex Laughlin, who's their producer, was pretty upfront. Was like, it takes eight weeks to make one of these. Hmm. It takes eight weeks worth of work. Um, that's why, because if we didn't have an army of producers, uh, I would die trying to do that all the time. And it's just a reminder that, like that, you know. I'll let you peek under the hood. Uh, the the amount of time it takes one of the episodes of this podcast to come to fruition is about two hours in total. That includes all the time that we spend, um, you know, debating before we hit record about what the topic is going to be. That's all of our recording time. That's the little bit of editing time I take mostly to remove all the times that Pierce drops an anvil on his desk next to his microphone. Um, yeah. And then to thank you, Mir, if you want to sponsor <laughs> us and then to post it on our hosting platform, write a little blurb and update our website. Um, in, in terms of sheer uh, quality relative to the other podcasts you probably listen to this podcast is very very bad 
I don't know. I, I feel I, perfectly I, comfortable I, saying that. I, I like. I don't. I don't even think that that's a slight on us. I'm fine with that. I, I think you're being slightly unfair because I do listen to a lot of podcasts, and I think that the quality of our <laughs> recording is is much better, and we are pretty. We we follow a standard script, and um, we're very consistent. I, I mean, like most podcasts are an audio medium. If it sounds good, it, it you know it that goes a long way. And so often I'm listening. I mean. Case in point, um, our 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 beloved shutdown full cast, which sounds like it was recorded in in the ocean in a in a rotted out submarine half the time. Like at least ours doesn't sound like that. But that's 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 beside the point here. I, you know, I I think that uh, you know to kind of get get back to the the thread of that, and I think that normal gossip is a great example. Is like. They are interested in the quality and getting back to your point, Max, they are something closer to art, like the art of making yep. a good, somewhat scripted thing. Cause they do have to script that out. They're like, we are going to make art. We are not just going to release content for the sake of content. And um, that's where I kind of get to the thing that I'm struggling with is I am sympathetic to these creators. And I, that's what we have to call them. Cause that's, we don't really have a better name for it, but like they are, creating content because they feel like they have to and necessarily and i want to call it adam ragusea who um who at the end of last year after starting to produce two videos per week and also doing a podcast was like i'm doing just a podcast and one video per week because it is too much and necessarily the quality of that content is going down but yeah i mean max i think you're right which is like the content versus art and that's kind of what i'm getting at here there to me some of these people who i really like and i want to support they are getting away from that the the artful consistency to something that's like i just got to get it out and i mean it's in some cases it's probably easier too i mean it can be easier because there's there's low effort content so what, what i'm thinking of like First of all, this doesn't sound like anything new. This sounds like a natural proliferation of success. Um, Ooh, and it, like it makes that. me think of things like the Star Wars mm-hmm. universe. Like, Star mm-hmm. Wars universe started out as a series of movies that were beloved. And now there's TV shows and video games and books and all these things. And and uh, there's a there's a there's an amusement park. I mean, there, this is a, everything, right? Like, it's it's a, it's an empire. Ha. No, no pun intended. And you yeah. could argue that the the quality of the original movies, like maybe the the um the prequels, were like worse off because of it. But in general, like as a as a as a fan of the Star Wars universe, like I'm overall happier with it being conglomerate. Even though it's like by being owned by Disney, does it change the content? But then if you think from the other side of things, like if I think about the Song of Ice and Fire book series. Um, that became a TV show and then it's, it's a, it's a book series, but George R. R. Martin, rather than finishing his book series has now written like 15 spinoff books. He's making TV shows. He's gone off and essentially He's made all this other content. To finish it. Well, but I, that was my point. I think that's cause it's easier for him. I don't think yeah. it's cause he feels like he needs to. I think it's because he's it's easier for him to release Duncan the Egg backstory <laughs> and a picture book for kids than it is for him to sit down on his DOS computer and write the end of the fucking series. So I like I don't think this is a new thing. I like fans can be upset, but it's natural when something is 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 
successful, if all of a sudden our podcast started making money, we'd probably start making more content. Okay, but y- y- you're not wrong. But the the point, I-, I think the key point there is that Star Wars is a gigantic empire. Uh, puns intended and otherwise. I mean, imagine if... George Lucas had to do all of it himself. That's yeah. that's the problem. A lot of these YouTube channels have, you know, pretty bare bones resources in terms of who is making them and how much time and effort it takes to make them. And they're they're being asked by the demands of the content beast to have like seven different only partially related and overlapping skill sets at all times. And yeah, maybe that is just sort of a natural progression of success, but like it's not, I I don't think it's crazy that the, the major new proliferation of the star Wars universe happened after star Wars got bought by goddamn Disney. Like one of the biggest corporations that's ever existed. So you're saying it's it's it, you're you're into the content or because you're because you're more into the the individuals creating it. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. That's certainly what it sounds like is happening for Pierce. Um, yeah. I just like and, and I feel sort of the same way. Like I want I want people like Roger Bennett to have all the success that they want in the world. And if turning men and blazers into a podcast network and doing seven different shows under one umbrella is like what he wants to do. The fact that that's not for me doesn't matter. It doesn't matter a lick. I'm not in any way upset with him, but like the, it's pretty clear that there are lots of other people who are much more in this Adam Ragusea camp where they are getting really burned out by the demands of all of this. And those are the people that this really sucks for. Yeah. And, and there's something too about um, a, a lot of the, the individuals and they really are individuals. And maybe they have one other editor with them type mm-hmm. stuff. Um, you, you know, I, it's part of the, the dilemma for me is like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really like this other thing that they're doing, but I feel compelled to watch it because like it does, it feels like it does matter that I consume it. And, and that, that is in part because, you know, one of the people I watched was recently talking about like getting a, getting a, in the process of getting a loan to buy a home, which is something, you know, shared off the Mm -hmm. cuff with something, something like that. And I thought about, huh, how do you, how do you go to go wherever and get a loan when you're like, I get paid by YouTube. It's hard for me to year over year anticipate what I make. And that kind of hit me as like, how long can they do this? And and it was mentioned offhandedly that, that oh, some one of the recent videos didn't do well. And now I'm concerned I'm going to have to go back and get a real job again. And like that really resonated with me. These are people who are in this frontier space, are pioneers but they have to keep up with the the Joneses of you know who whoever is the leaders in the in the YouTube space, and I'm sure it's you know people 
with millions, millions of, of subscribers who have huge production teams. And even though that's not, even though you're basically the mom and pop shop, like you have to act as if you're Albertsons basically. Yeah. There's, there's one other aspect of this that I, I want to make sure it gets mentioned. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Um, you know, these, these different platforms that you have to now perform on because that's what this is this is all performance of some sort um they often like don't really play to your strengths like if you've scrolled through instagram reels or tiktok you have inevitably happened upon you know many clips of stand-up comedians doing like crowd work bits where they're interacting with people in the audience they're you know they're dealing with hecklers or they're doing sort of observational work off the cuff with people in the audience and i've heard several comedians in other venues say that that is like by far their worst work or it's just not at all representative of who they are and what their act is like. But like, these are the things that get prioritized and rewarded by the TikTok algorithm or whatever. And so they like, they feel like they have to do the stuff that they don't want to do. And that's like, that sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that is the unfortunate part is that you know i may i may not like some of these these videos that these individuals are making but when when they indicate that they feel like they have to make them or someone says hey i'm thinking of doing like some kind of paid paid subscription thing on my website you know for to create a community and i roll my eyes at it a little bit a lot of it um but i go well I know, I know that it's how it has to be done. And, and this particular creator, I don't feel it's not worth bashing, but I always, they, they get a lot of views. And I think it's because they SEO the hell out of their, their video titles and not, you know, they're well-produced, they're good videos, but like part of it is you just, have you to play the game. Yeah. You, you play, you have to play the game. You can't play your game anymore. Like you get to a point where your brand and art has reached its limit and now to break through that ceiling, you have to, you have to sell out a little bit. I have, I mean, I have to do all kind of SEO stuff on stories. I write. Yeah. I mean, I know Sean is waiting to say his catchphrase, but like you say, you have to, eh, and there's not plenty, of, do it. plenty of artists who we think of now that are extremely famous that were not at all successful in their lifetimes. So you don't have to. I mean, you have to if it's your business and you have to if you want to make money and survive and you sort of have to do that. But there is that line, like, I don't know. But it is tough when you have algorithms and, and things out of your control. I mean, same as it's like if you're trying to sell a, a some homemade thing and you're operating on Etsy's platform, on mm -hmm. one side, it's great that they give you the ability to sell your handmade trinkets around the world. But on the other side of the coin, you have to, operate within their uh you know within their world and they kind of own your ability to to make money yeah yeah all right um now that we've <laughs> all all gotten our 
our rantings we're gonna, out. We're gonna record this. I, 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 I put it on a bunch of VHS tapes or uh, old yeah. tapes and we'll mail them to different people so they can I, get directly. I, I think I think what I'd say is like for individual creators, I'm gonna try to take in as much as I can because I know that it matters for men and blazers they're gonna be fine if i don't listen to everything mm-hmm. that's you know just just make like judge like who is making this um and and you know su- support their art and if they are a starving artist who needs to uh eat content um or feed you content then you gotta eat it all yeah whatever there may be no ethical consumption under capitalism but there is still thoughtful consumption and we can yeah. probably all do a little bit better about that um okay uh on that note we will wrap up and and go to pierce's sorry what are you apologizing for today um speaking of capitalism this has to do with a work circumstance which might be two weeks in a row i've talked about a work circumstance no i don't think i I did the last time we recorded but um there's there's one uh other contracting group another company big firm that that i interact with uh, a bit at work so my firm with their firm so um my team we noticed that they respond to emails and a lot of times they say uh you'll send them something and they'll and the email back will say uh we'll revert back uh or, or we'll revert when we have an answer um something like that and our response is, they should say respond. That's the word that you think of, but they used revert. And across lots of people, multiple people, not just one person. And so we were talking about this, and I I was looking it up, and as someone who went to a liberal arts college, uh, who studied a soft science, did a lot of writing, I feel like I know what is grammatically correct. And I will allow both of you to very quickly just use your search engine and type in revert and um, or define revert and what you will see is uh, I believe it's like the second thing or something is that in uh, like in English through the lens of South Asian languages uh, revert is a word that is used in place of respond frequently and so I'm talking about this with my team and we're like this is ridiculous why are they saying revert and then I realized in the course of that, I was like, you know what? I'm being a little bit insensitive because, you know, words, you know, the connotation of words in the way that they are used matters a lot. That's how words become what they are. That's how language becomes what it is. And this is an example of like a global language in a global business kind of evolving and changing. So me being like, that's the wrong word is incorrect and i'm sorry for that it's it is a different way to express the same thing and i should understand like how language evolves differently for different people so i was really happy to learn that it's still weird to me but i am much more understanding now okay um all right i got a big idea for pop culture uh and uh you you both have like half an idea of what it is um I went home to New Orleans for Easter to spend a couple days with my family. Um, And while I was there, I went with my parents to the World War II Museum, which we did not get to go to uh, the weekend of Pierce's bachelor party. 
Um, one of the reasons that it was a particularly good trip is that they have a relatively new sort of rotating special exhibit area um, in one of the newer buildings uh, that makes up the museum campus. And uh, the current exhibit is about the enmeshment in World War II of an entity that I mentioned earlier, the Walt Disney Corporation. Oh. It is fascinating. Uh, not very long after Pearl Harbor, uh, the U.S. military rolled up to Disney Studios in California and said, hello, we would like to use this land as a military installation. And they did. Um, it, it just it was it was very it was very cool to learn this whole aspect of history that I did not know anything about. Um, Disney pivoted pretty quickly. This was the time when they were they were putting out like Bambi and Pinocchio, and some of those movies were real commercial flops at the time. Um, and they shifted gears into using animation to produce uh like training videos for how to drive rivets and shit like that um they were the inspiration for uh a lot of the nose paintings on like fighter jets and and that sort of stuff um they made uh, quite a bit of uh propaganda and, and just like it, it was very cool to see you know, they have lots of stills. There's lots of kind of video exhibits. And one of the things that I thought was particularly notable about the exhibit is that uh, they don't shy away from the fact that the the history of Disney in the war is not all rosy. Like there was some very complicated stuff involving Japanese internment because Disney was fairly early, I think on, on employing Asian American, uh, animators. Uh, they made a series of propaganda films that were designed to sort of curry favor in central and South America, uh, and, and prevent, uh, access sympathies from developing. And a lot of those, shorts are full of just wildly um, ham-fisted uh, stereotypes of Hispanic people. Um, so, like, it, it was... I, I thought it was a, a good and illuminating exhibit that was just, like, a, a cherry on top of what's already a really, really good museum. Uh, and so it seems like it's around until September. Uh, so I would highly recommend if you find yourself in new Orleans, like I, I wouldn't necessarily construct a whole trip around just that, but like, if you already have any other reason to go there, go to the world war two museum. God, if, especially if you've never been there before, it's a sight to behold. And it's like grown to take up like multiple city blocks. There's a, a pavilion that has a bunch of um, reconstructed airplanes in it. 
uh, there are exhibits that take you through the European and Pacific theaters. It's awesome. I, I could go to that museum like a hundred more times um, and would be happy with it every single time. So uh, that's that's my plug for the day. Uh, we'll We'll close up with a trivia question, Max. What you got? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about uh, a fairly <laughs> famous um, Republican politician from New York who has made a bunch of fraudulent claims. Uh, okay. And obviously we all know who I'm talking about. Uh, George, George Santos. Oh, oh, that one. <laughs> George Santos. So George Santos, I, I don't want to give the background on George Santos, but he, he is being investigated for a variety of things. He may or may not be a real person. Uh, he may actually be the first iteration of AI corrupting our government. I'm not really <laughs> sure. But he's made up a lot of stuff. He's a fascinating character. So I've got a trivia question related to him. So Santos has claimed that he founded and ran a charity from 2013 to 2018 uh, for uh, helping animals, essentially. He claimed that he was, quote, the guy picking up poop, cleaning, getting people doing campaigns online, and that there was a broader group of folks who helped out. Uh, there's no substantial evidence to suggest that this charity that he has claimed to have created is real at all. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, what is the name of George Santos' fake charity? Oh. Do you need... Uh, if, yes. if I give you multiple choices, will it be too easy? No. Okay. Is it A, Pups for Vets, B, Jesus. The Puppy Fund, C, Friends of Pets United, or D, Pet Pals? All right, I have my answer. I do, right. I do as well. Um, I think it's A. I think it's B. That's Pups for Vets and The Puppy Fund. Uh, you are both incorrect. I, I maybe I was latched onto this more than others, but as soon as I heard this, I couldn't forget it. It's it is friend C friends of pets united. <laughs> Santa claims that God. he uh, created the charity. Um, like I mentioned, he suggested he he was uh, picking up poop and whatnot. Um, he he may have placed a few dogs uh, legitimately with um uh veterans but there is no way to substantiate any of his claims as uh the new york times has reported similar to all his other made-up things but well it's too bad the new york times didn't do it it didn't do the local news job that it nominally should be doing well before he was elected uh so <laughs> yeah it's their fault it's their fault is that what must be that's not what michael barbara said Ugh. Whatever. I'm not. I'm not, let let him let him roll around in, the, in knives on Twitter. I I don't have time for that content. All right, that's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web at www.prettyokpod.com, or subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app of choice. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Max. Thanks for listening.